Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Conspiracy or Just a Coincidence. I am your host, Jack Allen. Follow me on Twitter at Conspiracy or JAC. Gab at Conspiracy or JAC. If you want to support the show, I got a website, conspiracy or just a coincidence.com, and it links you to my t shirt website, which I'm wearing the one right now. If you listen to my last episode, I didn't get it yet. My neighbor, see, you know, my name isn't really Jack Allen. So I, but I made the websites and that stuff in that name. And so I had this t shirt delivered under Jack Allen, and for some reason she took my package put a question mark on it and put it at my door two days later. Crazy. Why is she going through my mail? Like, I know it doesn't say my real name, but it's not the number on your house, lady. But anyway, we'll let it slide. I don't confusing why she's digging through my packages on my front door. But, uh, but yeah, get a shirt. If you want to support the show, I'm going to keep making more cool ones. This one has a picture of farmers on it saying, we just want to keep the money we earn and live in peace. And uh, I got like a 9-11 one. And I'm just going to keep making cool meme ones that I see because I always like, when I see memes, I'm like, damn, I'd love to wear that on a shirt. So yeah. So if you want to support the show, I'm on Patreon. I also have my like uh, support links in my, on my website. But, uh, and I always say this, totally get if you can't support the show. It is what it is, dude. And some people at this, it's a tough time, but if you can retweet the show or leave a comment or if you want to even not support my show and support someone else's show, do it, dude. I probably, like, I'm losing money because I support too many uh, content creators. But, like, you need to keep this, the, like, this insular. Like, we need to create our own economy kind of thing, like, agorist kind of thinking. Because the more we pay for, like, stupid stuff like Netflix and all these things that just shove propaganda. And we all need an outlet. I get it. But uh, support the people that you listen to because... This doesn't get anybody rich. We're not all as lucky as, you know, Tripoli and those big guys. But yeah, so support whoever. Retweet the show. Leave a review. I'll give you a shout out on the show. Today's episode is all about Knights Templar and Freemasonry. And so we're going to go over the Templar history, how it links with Freemasonry. I'll I'm add, I'm add some things that are like not in the book because the author is a Freemason. He's a 32nd degree Freemason. His name's Sanford Holst. Sworn in Secret, Freemasonry, and the Knights Templar. And uh, so he obviously thinks very highly of them. He's very proud, which is great. He, they, As a general rule, most people in Freemasonry are not evil, devil-worshipping people. We had a Luciferian on the show a while ago, and he told me that he was in Freemasonry, and they didn't realize that they were doing 
Luciferian rituals because they hide in metaphors. But this this uh, book, it's all factual stuff like with history and proven things. I won't delve too much into like speculation. So if you're looking for like stuff that's like, and he is doing black magic with the, this isn't the show. I'm not Bishop Larry Gator. So I only say things that I feel confident in their approvability, if that's a word. So uh, all this stuff can be sourced. If you wanted to like convince somebody that there's ties, you could easily do this by parroting back the stuff that I tell you. So before we even get into the history, Freemasonry came out of the open in 1717, uh, emerged by a guy named John de Sagulaires, who worked under Isaac Newton. He, Newton got into the Royal Society. He had seven children. Um, Freemasons, all they have to do is a certain hand signal, which means they are in distress, and Masons are required to go save that brother no matter the circumstance, no matter the what will happen. And this stems, as we'll see, from Templar belief. But uh, I found that really interesting because, well, the one story Sanford brings up is in George Washington when he was in the war, he, a British like forces lost a battle. There was this chest of valuables with gold, jewels, all this stuff. Americans got it. And the, a Freemason told him it was a brother's chest that was in the British army. And George and his men dropped it off at the nearest lodge, which was British controlled at the time. So that story should tell you everything you need to know that the actual people that are like in that top level of Freemasonry, there is no loyalty to to you or to me, like our politicians. And I know Freemasonry is probably on the, the decrease, but this kind of, it's just always rebranded, you know, like Illuminati, all this stuff. It's probably all like just different names hiding in plain sight kind of thing, but just they will always support each other over you. They may fake fight and we'll get into like all this stuff later. But yeah, so you understand what I'm saying. If they put up this hand signal or they say they're in distress, they need you, they're coming. So Phoenicians, Knights Templar, Freemasonry, all connected. And I bet you could even go back prior to that. That's where this book starts. And again, I'm horrible at like biblical history. And this just gave me my base knowledge. So I'm sure some of you even know better than me. But it's all connected with Solomon's Temple. So both... Templar and Freemasons were accused of atrocities, perverted beliefs, and closely held secrets, which may or may not be true. So Templars gave up these secrets after Pope Clement signed their death warrant due to King Philip, which we'll, we'll go into all that stuff as well. But the Templars, they would require you to promise on a Bible, like do you have a dispute with any man, owed any dents, betrothed any woman, do you have a secret injury? And then he would stand on one knee and promise to be a servant of the order to his brothers and defending the Holy Land. All stuff that we could like get into that's interesting, but we got to keep going. This is a long, lot of notes. So here we go. So the Templars were created because the Holy Land's been switching between the Muslims and the Christians back and forth. They get slaughtered, a bunch of Christians. So they needed these knights to defend the roads, right? And when they went there, they befriended these Lebanese Christians who were the direct descendants of the Phoenicians who built Solomon's temple. And this group was super secret, tight-knit group, like a society within a society. And this is where the Templars got this idea of secrecy from. They kept it alive until 1300s, and they were rounded up Friday the 13th, 1307. And Freemasonry eventually began right after that time. And that's the general quick history. So Phoenicians, they're from the city of Tyre, 
to build Solomon's temple. And they had King Hiram and Hiram Abiff, which is where we know Hiram Abiff is big in the Freemasonic symbolism. He was a master mason, and King Hiram was the king of Tyre. Tyre had these magnificent temples. It preceded the Temple of Solomon. And uh, Herodotus, which is an ancient Greek historian, said that it was like people would go there to adorn offerings, and they had two pillars, one of pure gold and one of pure emerald, which is our Masonic which is echoed in Solomon's temple, Yakin and Bose, which I probably butchered those two names. But this is where we have all the two-pillar symbolism. I mean, I even think you could probably make the connections. The Twin Towers is also a the two-pillar symbolism of Freemasonic symbology. And he, when Herodotus went, he asked the temple or the priest of Tyre, who built the temple? And this was wild. He said, they said that the priest, Herodotus said, the priest said it had been raised the same year Tyre had been founded, 2,300 years prior, and Herodotus visited in 450 BC, which means the temple was built in 2,750 BC. And archaeological evidence agrees with this year. They found artifacts that deep, like in the bedrock, that would say 2,700, you know, so 4,000, almost 5,000 years ago, which is wild, right? Tyre started from a previous city known as Byblos, which was 69 miles north. Weird, I mean, again, these could just be like coincidences, but weird number again, um, perverted sodomy associated with that, and also, you know, uh, Tesla 369, but just weird. Anyway, I'm sure it means nothing. And so this is where the mysterious society known as the Phoenicia, Phoenicians originated. So Byblos had a vast supply of tall, sturdy cedar trees and wandering Canaanites, I'm sorry I keep interrupting, but I, I'm so bad with biblical knowledge. I know there is significance between the Canaanites. I think they came from Cain, and that's why they were called that. But they settled there, and there's probably more to that, like history. But again, I don't go that far back. You get the idea. Okay, I apologize. So the Canaanites, they formed there, and they started making these awesome fishing boats with these tall cedar trees. They were awesome fishermen. And... So they were so good, they started exporting these boat or this wood to Egypt. Egypt had no good wood, only palm trees and other small crappy trees that you couldn't make anything with. So their strong, their boats carried these huge cedar beams that they were willing to trade. And everyone in the Nile wanted a piece of those trees. Upper Egypt had the wealth and they wanted those trees. So they would carry these huge cedar trees, 40 feet in length, 3 feet in diameter, and, you know, back then you would think, how the hell am I going to carry this big tree 400 miles across the sea and then a 400 miles into the Egypt? Well, trees float, so they carried them behind the boat. So business is booming. They become a small town to a powerhouse, you know, small town and business booming. Amazon big. And uh, they had to even build these huge temple walls to protect all this new wealth. So more civic projects more community, staying, and more boats, of course. All the cities on the Nile wanted some of those trees. And this is the life of the sea traders and the Phoenicians began. Now, this was a risky business because if a ship was going to take all these goods and come back with all the money, the, the actual money, not fiat money, gold and silver, it could like wipe a whole family out if they lost a... You know, the mafia would take ships and fell off a truck. Well, that could happen to these guys. So they became some homogenous commies, and uh, they realized they would be stronger together. 
So the brotherhood became so strong that Alexander the Great, when he was, you know, doing his uh, conquering, he even note, made note of that the Phoenician bond was unbreakable. Kind of badass, right? So they used cooperative commerce rather than force. They also chose their own leaders, which was crazy at the time. And leadership role among the leading families, like the, the, the strong businessmen as opposed to submitting to a hereditary monarch. Eventually they got a king, just like their neighbors, but he was just a town, like a figurehead and still needed the town council approval. So ages beyond their time. So they built a temple of a for a go female goddess in the city. It was called the Balat, B-A-A-L-A-T, Jabal. And a weird name, I think, immediately of Baal, which, again, I could go into, like, speculative things, you know, so what were they... Well, you understand. I, I won't, like, go into that area, but you can obviously make these connections. Uh, so any visitor... And they allowed any visitor to call the fem feminine deity, but whatever name they wanted foreigners would come bring gifts and uh name them in their own goddess like to their own goddess which was very cool again at their time not many people did this there was a lesser temple built because i guess the feminine was worshipped more it was a lesser temple was built for the male deities and it was the same thing no image of their god they just use a simple stone marker mm, so now what do you think when i say simple stone marker they called this marker masaba and it was the same shape was used in Egypt, and you, we all know what that means. It was an obelisk. So weird that Washington Monument is an obelisk, right? So no military match. They didn't have like a military. They couldn't. Um, they couldn't, you know, compete with military. So what they do is they avoid a risk by praying to whatever gods the, the power and control wanted them to, and they survived many centuries of this because how many wars have been started by religion? They just kind of went with the flow. So Solomon, he's getting power, and he asked King Hiram for help in building a temple to God, the God worshipped by the Jewish people, by us. And King Hiram, by us Christians, I apologize. King Hiram, he didn't mind. He set his, sent his best mason, Hiram Abiff. And we'll get into Hiram Abiff isn't really. Anyway, so Biblos kept growing and built other cities and ports. They built a Sidon on the South Lebanese shore. They went further, built the city of Tyre on a rocky mile offshore, and they would service all the ships going to Egypt. A lot of think of like a highway picking up ports to help, you know, keep your business going. They kept growing at all the ports on the Mediterranean. They went up to Turkey to get more cedar trees. They also went to the island of Malta, south of Sicily. And an interesting thing to point out is Knights of Malta is another secret group probably connected to this story they probably spun out of the same beliefs same phoenician tribe or whatever you want to call it so they met the people there and the people in malta honored their ancestors by burying their ancestors in underground caves and above cave or above like temple where you could worship the ancestors which will become very huge in a little bit so they would use these huge stones as big as 50 tons how they did it, the author doesn't go into this speculation. And based on my previous episode I did with the Hidden History guy, clearly there is something that we're not being told. 50 tons using, what, maybe a wheel, maybe a lever? Uh, you know, that doesn't make any sense. We wouldn't be able to do it today. 
there's something that's deep hidden knowledge that's probably what's hidden. But anyway, 3000 BC was when the Phoenicians interacted with the people of Malta, so a long time ago. And a new type of stone edifice was learned to be created. It's called the Ashlar Stone. And Odd Man, my, one of my good friends in this truther world, he just did a podcast talking about how the occult world and alchemy uses Ashlar Stones as like a symbolic thing. So just interesting. So Ashlar Stones, they would be able to do something to the stone to make it flat sides with corners requiring no mortar. And this, this is the precise art of masonry, which was born. Philadelphia, where I live around, that is the largest building without any mortar. It's huge, huge. And we, again, I'm, I'm dig- digressing. I apologize. So Tyre, Phoenician trade is booming, soaring. Egypt says, you know what? I want some pyramids. So prior to this, the Egyptians were using mud bricks from the Nile, which worked okay. They had this like crappy step pyramid that they did before the Phoenicians and then a bent pyramid, and the one called a red pyramid. And then the Phoenicians came in and said, whoa, 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 let me show you actually how to do this. And they built a great pyramid. Stones weighing as much as 80 tons, laid out astrologically. Again, so many things on the great pyramids. I'm not going to do that this episode, obviously, but uh, 80 tons? What? Who, who's moving it? People? No, no. People are not moving 80-ton stones. So 2600 PC, the people of Malta disappear. No warfare, no disease, no economic failure. Same time the Great Pyramid was getting underway. So could the Phoenicians have just picked up the Maltese, said, hey, want to build a build a huge pyramid? And uh, they brought them to e- Egypt to build it. We What we do know is the Egyptians did not build the pyramid without... Uh, some Phoenician and Maltese help. Also weird was buried in the Khufuf tomb was an unassembled Phoenician boat stored in like Lego form, markings how to assemble the boat, like from Ikea, you know, peg here, peg here. And uh, that's a a joke. But yeah, weird that it wasn't assembled, right? It was unassembled with directions. The all-seeing eye was the symbol of protection. The eye of Horus with goddess Hathor. The Egyptians referred to the goth this the goddess of the Phoenicians by this name. And that's why uh we see the this dollar on the dollar bill today. We know that comes from ancient Egypt, the all seeing eye. So pretty good energy if you are worshiping an unknown deity that was recognized by this symbol. So like the you know, like I just said, the eye of Horus. It's on our dollar bill. Energy goes where attention. Energy goes where attention flows, and uh, just interesting. Like I'm not saying that's proven or anything, but you understand. Like we deal with money every day. This is how they worship this god. People worship money. You can see there's a lot of energy in that that people would enjoy having. Okay, so for thousands of years there is this place called Minoan. And it's another place like in that in that area. And for thousands of years, they were shepherds and farmers. And then around 2000 BC, they started raising these huge palaces made of perfectly cut ashlar stones and engaging in sea trade. And the Phoenicians were getting brutalized by these tribes who come around the, from the north, the Amorite tribes. And around 2200 20, 20, 20, BC, they seized Byblos. So... They survived that when they rebuilt an even bigger wall. They're like, just leave us alone, you gnats. 
And uh, the Phoenicians have been trading with all these different little islands and stuff like that. And then the one day, they just got sick of these people that kept raiding their coming trying to get through their walls so they left biblos just leaving the priest to manage the temples and they all left well out of nowhere cretan 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 c-r-e-t-e crate came out of nowhere with awesome sailors got lots of money they dominated the sea trade in the aegean sea so obviously we would think that the phoenicians combined with the cretans to make society and that is what's called the minoans so the illiterate Cretans learned the Phoenician language written in script called Linear A, which is wild as we still haven't deciphered the script of the Phoenician language. Wild, dude, because all these people around here could read it, but nobody, they didn't tell any like Greek. That's what we have a lot of like Greek history, you know, there and they never told them. So that is like should be a huge point in your head that this group, this people never shared this knowledge, right? Phoenicians, they never bragged. There was no monuments no with like accomplishments or king heads or libraries or personal notes. Literally, these people would be awesome organized crime today. They would figure it out. So just like secret societies, you get initiated and you are in the group, you keep your mouth shut. And the Phoenicians did the same things. Uh, to learn their tricks, you had to be, or learn their techniques, you had to become a part of them. And Minoans, because they were obviously initiated into you know, with the Phoenicians and the Cretans, they made beautiful frescoes that you're still able to see today of these initiation rituals. And you have young men putting on a kilt around their waist, like the Freemason skirt, like the Templar lamp loin, which we will get into. And it was a greatly celebrated event. And again, we see the society within a society. So the Minoans with Phoenician help would help protect the seas around the area until an earthquake in 1628 BC and Mycenaeans plundered the island. Minoans fled before the Mycenaeans could come and uh, they the, the people that were on, the original Cretans that were on the island, they went back to their simple sheep herding existence. Phoenicians said, it's about time. Let's head back to Lebanon. And people around the... You know, this is ancient times. Dude. There is no farming, mass farming and stuff. It was a simpler, but probably a little difficult at the time. You're more reliant on the weather. The people of uh, Turkey at this time now were starving and had no food. So the Phoenicians being this like very good at mediating problems and avoiding conflict gave them grain. And this is important in their history. It'll come back. So these groups that were in Turkey, like a swarm of locusts they were going through modern day syria destroying everything they had no food they're just pillaging and raping and the the phoenician cities they treated them like holy places they said they bypassed them they said thank you for feeding us we will not rape and pillage your city and uh, they went to the land of modern day israel and the sea people as they were called they tried to take egypt as well and this weakened egypt so much um, they were able to fight them, but they kind of went back and they settled, settled in the Southern Canaan and named it Palestine. So that is the Palestinians of that time were these locusts. Well, now I'm saying things are gonna get me in trouble. There were people that needed food and they just went all around, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So they settled in Palestine and other places, but you understand. So all the Phoenician enemies 
and or like competitors at this time became very weakened. Egypt went penniless because of this fight. And 1,500 years later, the Phoenicians still maintained their secrecy. Boats and pieces, when anyone would buy them to be built, all had records back thousands of years, but now they have the knowledge of the Ashar stones. So now we get back to the Bible. So the king of Tyre, or king of David of Israel, he's conquering everything. He marches into Lebanon, to, and he meets the Phoenicians. King Hiram, he as his ancestors did, he wanted to keep business booming, keep it open, and he maintained this idea of peace. So he gave big gifts, donations to the Hebrew king David, and said they would build a new palace for David in Jerusalem to be good neighbors, be neighborly. So if you have a new neighbor, offer to build him a palace. So King Hiram, he sent him some cedar trees and some masons and built David a house. David passes away and Solomon takes the crown in 970 BC. David was not a, you know, unfair. He gave the Phoenicians a bunch of wheat and oil and peace between the two. They have a budding relationship. And Hiram, King Hiram is not the same as Hiram Abiff, which the Masons called, which which was the Mason. He was the lead Mason to make Solomon's temple. Um, I did a whole thing on King Hiram Abiff and the Rosicrucian belief. It was a rough episode. If you want to check it out, I think it's titled... Uh, Current affairs rant. Everyone was calling me blackpilled at the time. I was very upset. And uh, wrote Max here, Max Heidel's belief. Okay. Anyway, so um, oh, Hiram, Hiram Abiff, who wasn't named Abiff, but Hiram, his dad was from Tyre. His mom was from one of the twelve tribes of Israel. So Solomon's temple. He helped build Solomon's temple, and let me tell you, it was a magnificent. I could only imagine what it looks like. Um, remember the gold, emerald and gold pillars? It had that stuff. Uh, there was gold inside. I mean, I literally cannot imagine the beauty of it. It was said that it was like 45 feet tall, which is huge. Uh, you had like outside rooms, a courtyard, and there in the back there was where the priests and stuff were. And this temple was supposedly the place that held the Ark of the Covenant, which had the two angels covered in gold on it. And in Freemasters, in Freemasonry, to become a Master Mason, you have to hold your secrets as people like yell at you to tell the truth, which is interesting, right? So like they say like in free to become a master mason, you have to like have your brothers like tell us what you know, tell us what you know, tell us what you know, and you have to deny them and lie to them. And this stems from the same issues Hiram had when he was directing the builders and they said like tell us how you tell us how you know to do this, blah blah blah, blah and he wouldn't tell them, right? So Hiram finished the temple and the secrets were all like in the back of the thing where you had to cross through all these like, you know, like not guards, but you understand like the Holy Grail, the Ark of the Covenant, possibly the descendants of Jesus Christ, all the mystical secrets. And but the Masons that built it, they only gave like they gave limited knowledge to the people of Israel that they built the temple for. The squaring and the carving of stones was done privately, off-site, and carried over. They, it was said that not a single hammering or tool was in the building, like complete secrecy. So as this time, the temple was obviously attacked because people always got to attack these beautiful temples. And uh, people knew there were going to be valuables there at these temples. That's why they would do it. So like, like any temple, yeah. So Nebuchadnezzar 
two of Babylon burned the buildings and carried away people and treasures, which was real cool. Nebuchadnezzar, I think that's the ship of the Matrix. Just so much symbolism. I'm going to get better on my, in a year from now, I will be able to beat up this podcast with Nebuchadnezzar, all the symbolism. But for now, I'm sure some of you know more about the significance of this. But so Nebuchadnezzar two Babylon burns the 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 built the temple of Solomon carries away people, and just like the crypts that were built in the Malta in Malta, you know the caves underground, there was crypts built in the ancient pyramids to conceal and protect the bodies of pharaohs. The just like the crypts that were built in medieval times to uh, hide things under the church. So if you are building a ball and building. And you're going to have gold and all this stuff in it. Your people are going to want to hide the gold. And you're getting the best people that have been taught to build secret crypts underneath things. So you build a crypt to hide the real good stuff from the people. Because temples are getting robbed like a 7-Eleven, right? So no one saw the temple being built, really. Because, you know, it was done by these people. And then... Just to set precedent, you had crypts being built in Byblos 10 centuries earlier. So we see this uh, pattern forming that they, the Maltese and the Phoenicians had this thing. They would build these beautiful structures and you'd have, you know, things that everyone could enjoy and go look at and pray to. And then underground, you kept in hidden crypts that you couldn't see. You had the real good stuff. So someone's response might be right now, well... We could let's go look at those temples or the crypts under the ground now to see that they're there. But whether planned or uh, manufactured or not, there's a lot of issues in this area, as we all know, and that is not possible to go look. But what if you had some people who controlled it for a while that wanted to look down there, that knew that the Phoenicians built secret crypts? And that's where we get to the temper, Templars. So this is like where it gets real wild, right? So uh, Phine- we'll get to it here. But uh, so Phoenicia has split family history or split family rivalry as like all these groups eventually do. And it was with King Hiram's children. So this girl, Alyssa, E-L-I-S-S-A, goes to North Africa with a bunch of her followers and wealth and starts building the city of Carthage. And the city grows rapidly. It spreads all from Carthage. It spreads all over the Mediterranean, Spain, Morocco, Algeria, Sicily, back to Malta, Portugal, France, England. When the Greeks settled in Sicily in 742 BC, they said the Phoenicians had already settled the island. Carthage took the knowledge that they had in uh, Tyre, built huge walls, walls that were never, we're going to build a big wall. It was never breached. Huge walls. And that's what Carthage did. So Solomon split Israel between his sons. Babylonians came back and took it in 609 BC, 586 BC. All the Hebrews get put in exile. Solomon's temple is completely destroyed. Persians in 538 BC, they kicked the Babylonians out with Cyrus the Great. Um, Eventually a guy, Zerubbabel, appealed and gave the Hebrews back Israel. So the foundation of a second temple was built. 516, it's built again. Phoenicians, they're still appeasing everybody, both the Babylonians, the Persians, giving gifts. You know, very smooth people. Lots of uh, freedom and trade. 
and their secrecy always kept them alive. No one could infiltrate this secret knowledge that they had to build these magnificent structures. And the like leaders of the time knew that if they wiped them out, they wouldn't get their wealth, they wouldn't get their knowledge because they would, you know, like contract out to them. So then a new bad guy comes into play, Alexander the Great, a 20-year-old king of Macedonia in 336 BC. Um, people like tried to revolt on him. He would stomp that out. With 42,000 men, he got Persia, Turkey, wiping out everyone that, you know, bucks the system. And he decides that he hit up the Phoenician cities. And they stood their ground. Tyre had these huge walls, super thick. Eventually, though, Alexander was able to breach the walls. Troops rushed in, torched that city. But something weird happened when that happened. Sidon, a Phoenician city that previously already surrendered to Alexander the Great, they were serving in his military because they just like go with what they're very, like I said, they just kind of go with the flow. And what do you know? Sidon was sailing away with the 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 people of Tyre and 15,000 Tyre Tyrians were saved. And Alex goes to Jerusalem where he gets Solomon's temple 2.0 and, uh, E, then he, you know, he knocks that down. Egypt was next, then Iraq, Pakistan. All, I mean, he goes all over. You've seen those maps or like what, uh, what uh, empires they had. Alex eventually dies suddenly when he returns home to his Babylon for his parade. Three sons divide the conquered lands between them. And again, they leave the Phoenicians and their cities alone because they keep paying their taxes. They, again, like you don't want to wipe out your cash cow. So Carthage becomes the headquarters, 500 to a million people. Um, and a new baddie starts messing with the people of Rome. He saw Sicily looking fresh, and it was currently controlled by Carthage. There's a Punic War. Some Phoenicians like forgot their diplomacy skill. They decide to strike back with a new guy, Hannibal. You know, all just like all these wars, Hannibal was a badass, though. He crossed the Alps with freaking elephants in the Second Punic War. Eventually, he loses. Carthage gives up its territories. Phoenicia loses many of its territories. Then the Roman Empire begins, says you need to move Carthage inland. These are seafaring Peter people. You know, Rome slaughters more Phoenicians. 146 BC. I'm just giving you like a timeline to try and stay with this because this was very like important history that I never knew. 146 BC, Phoenicians scram all around. Some end up in Jerusalem, some fighting another war. Uh, Roman Rome appoints King Herod, and uh, this is 453 years since the last rebuild, and King Herod wants to renovate the temple. So he creates four huge walls around Temple Mount, made bigger courtyards so more people could come worship, and this is the Wailing Wall that King Herod built. In 70 AD, Roman had a Jewish people revolt and just they burned down the temple again to spite them. But there's still these underground tunnels and crypts that those sneakies Phoenicians built. And uh, just a side note, in 19 just to show you that these crypts were never investigated, well, except they there's so many. In 1982, secretly Jewish people they're digging the tunnel under cuz you know the the Palestine Muslims controlled it at this point, and they're secretly digging under the Temple Mount to to examine the crypts. And then Palestinians heard like noises down under the ground, and people were killed. It was a, probably a vicious thing, but just like 
a funny mental image, you know, like people digging, kind of like the cartel digs under the, the ground. But uh, okay, yeah. So more than just burning down Solomon's temple when the Romans can control Jerusalem, obviously Jesus was born. He had to flee Egypt to avoid King Herod because he was, you know, killing all the babies around that time, if you remember that biblical story. So Jesus grew up in Galilee, which is the northern part of Israel, becomes a carpenter. Supposedly, he also went to Tyre to give a sermon to the Phoenicians. He's crucified in 30 AD um, near Temple Mount, Jerusalem. You know the story, you know, rise. But so Christianity, though, eventually gets spread all throughout the Roman Empire. Constantine, he gets power, says Christianity will be the religion that they'll practice. Constantine was born in 272 AD. Again, I'm just trying to give like a timeline. He was the son of a Roman military leader, diplomat. He had a dream about Christianity, and he put the first two letters of Christ on the shields, and they won these huge military battles against armies that were twice as large as him. He becomes the sole emperor of Rome, hence Constantinople. And uh, his mom was a Christian, so she, he let her go to these holy sites to try and find relics, because now it's controlled by you know Rome as opposed to the Muslims. She said she found like part of the cross Jesus was crucified on, the stone that was in the temple, the spear. Eventually, the eastern part of the empire falls. The western holds strong, and that's turned into the Byzantine Empire, uh, Greece, Egypt, North Africa. So this is when Muhammad came along. And, well, I guess like 300 years after, Muhammad came along out of Saudi Arabia, who, if you listen to my other episodes, he talks with crystals and caves, all that stuff. And he promotes, you know, the jihads, like the, you know, the blowing yourself up kind of thing for of infidels. And so 634 AD, two years after Muhammad's death, the Byzantine Empire falls to the Muslims. And 638, Jerusalem falls. Um, they went into Egypt, North Africa. Islam becomes the religion there. Hopefully you're following with the timelines that I'm giving. I know it's like a lot of info. Was a lot of info for me so i hope you're, you're able to follow along basically all you really need to take from it temples built destroyed new power temple built destroyed you get it but the phoenicians they're staying cool right they're still hanging out getting along with people um so jerusalem was christian islam built so islam comes in they build the dome of the rock and they even went to Spain, Portugal, even France, but they're stopped by the Pyrenees Mountains. That's why you have the, a lot of Muslims in these areas, obviously. Charlemagne eventually becomes king of France. He reconquers some of Europe, establishes power of the Pope to a level that was not seen before. And this is huge in history because before this, the Vatican was really not that powerful. But Charlemagne says, I'll give you power. Now, this is around 800 AD. And uh, the Holy Roman Empire is strong again. You know, you had Constantine, it was strong then, but stronger now. So Holy Roman Empire 2.0. So since the Pope crowned Charlemagne as like the Roman Emperor, he set the precedent that the Pope had to anoint the new kings. And you can see like what issues that may cause, which we will see throughout history. But let's continue. So... Now, this is we're in like uh, 900 to 1000 AD, and this is where we get the great imagery of the knights in shining, shining armor. And the uh, Crusades, they're fighting the Muslims in Europe to try and fight back Christianity from these areas that are now controlled by the Muslims. 
In 1099, the Crusades get back to Jerusalem and they are like, this is so worth it. Like, we did it. We did it. They take that man, you know, that they, they finally got it back. So in 1119, you know, it kind of keeps going back and forth between the Christians and the, and the Muslims, but the Christians are allowed to visit. And at one point in 1119, to a pilgrimage to the Holy City, there is a massacre of Christians while they go to the Holy Land. 700 Christians were slaughtered by the Muslims that day. Some were taken captive, some escaped. And since the Christians owned, you know, Jerusalem at this time, they were like, you know, we can't have this. Like, we need our people protected if they're coming to visit this city. So King Baldwin II set out 10 knights led by Hugh de Paines to, and they met in the Temple Mount and they took a solemn obligation. It's very, like, poetic if you think about it, right? They said that they will protect the pilgrims, pilgrims who travel to Jerusalem and other holy sites. And these sworn oaths formed the Knights Templar. Pretty badass, right? Like, you know, these 10 guys are like, it's almost like a movie. I feel like it is a movie. But anyway, Payne's, Payne's he was French. He was from the Champagne region, the Pop Bottles Champagne region. And uh, the Turks are now bothering Christians again, getting land in the area. And it's been a fight for so long, you know, like just a brutal... I mean, this area has been violent forever, right? And they, the Crusades already kind of left Jerusalem because they said, you know, we did it, we're out. There was also this group called the Hospitallers, which the Hospitallers, which were also in Jerusalem when Pains and the Templars were there. They would originally, they just took care of sick, sick people. They were the Benedictine monks. They provided shelter, which there's a lot of history between that. And we can go, like, so much of this stuff is a topic. Um the Benedictine moats and the Hospitallers, they had black robes with a white cross. They had no military role at that time. So Baldwin II was so happy that him and Hugh de Paines and his friends said they were going to protect. And as a reward, he was like, you know what, keep a house, keep a wing in the Temple Mount. So the men called themselves the Knight Te Knights Templar, the poor fellow soldiers of Christ and the Temple of Solomon. And they were like monks, but they could fight with swords. I mean, how, this was like a, but this wasn't new, like in China, in the Buddhist, you know, they were, you know, like the, they knew their Kung Fu. That's like so bad. I just said that. You know what I mean? So uh, they donned the white robes and the red cross. And that's where we get the, that, you know, symbolic power of the Knights Templar. So 1120, the Hospitallers, they're like, these guys are so badass. They open their own sword wielding monks and they're like friendly, but they're like rivals. King Baldwin says, you know what, Templars, this is a too big of a castle for me. You take Solomon's temple. And he left the new Solomon temple building to the Templars. So they got free reign of the area. They want to secure the perimeter and they search all the underground passageways of the building. And that is where all the fun stuff happens with like, did they find bloodline? Did they find the Holy Grail? Did they find new books? Did they find the Ark of the Covenant? Did they find the Kabbalah information? Kabbalah, we all hear this, and I know Kabbalah is like a secret book. It, it's said to have come from either Moses in the 13th century BC. Some say it dates far as far as back as Adam. And Kabbalah was passed via families, not really written down, but it was being taught at least in 70 AD, the last time the temple fell. And Kabbalah, for people, it's like this mysticism, this occult practices, 
a lot of stuff is Kabbalah that like Trump was taught Kabbalah. There's something to it, right? I don't want to like get, again, it's like numerology, Jamaat, all this stuff. I don't know specifically what's in Kabbalah, but there's a lot of powerful cult information. So we see Kabbalah being taught in 70 AD. Then it goes underground. Then Knights Templar, they get digging. They find something that gives them power. They're accused of heresy and mystical stuff, which is denied. But uh, if they thought it was from God and Moses, you know, that's what supposedly Kabbalah came from. I think they could say they were not practicing not religious stuff with like a clear conscience, right? Does that make sense? In 2007, an electric cable was being led and they found more artifacts under the Temple Mount. And I show say that to just show you that there is still stuff that has not been dug up under this holy, holy land. So who knows what the Templars found, right? They found something. And at minimum, like they found something big. But along with digging in these temples, they made a connection with the descendants of the great builders, the sailors, the Phoenicians. So as Muslim-controlled city, Phoenician cities fell, more and more Christian descendants of the Phoenicians came back to this, the cities. And the Templars at the height had 900 knights, 6,300 like support people. That So every knight had seven guys that like helped him up. And the Templars with their, liter, their Lebanese Phoenician buddies, um, they were, it's amazing. So you don't know, I, obviously I would assume that the Phoenicians taught the Templars this uh, brother, always support brother in need, you know, seek a society within a society. If you have to die with him, if he needs your help, if he needs you, you drop everything and you help them. So your help people were the brown robe people with the red cross. The knights were that iconic white with red cross. And then there was a third group who never, I never heard about this group before. And they were the green robe um, Phoenician descendants. So they were very literate or literate. I don't know if you can be very literate, highly skilled in shipbuilding, very business oriented. Uh, they clearly stuck out with these green robes right and back then only clerics could read so you can already i've been like doing a lot of work on alternate history so you could only imagine if just the priest and the religious people could read but these guys could as well so in the beginning the templars actually didn't have any clerics so they had to use outside resources for their business obviously this is leaves a vulnerability because you're giving your inside info to people that aren't a templar so they were like, shit, we need a better system. So the Templar cross in the, the green robe, they, so these green robe guys, they had their Templar cross. They also wore white gloves, which will come back into very important later. And they also were required to have short hair. Just something, I, I don't know, you know, pretty conservative dressing. So the Knights, they needed infrastructure, castles, and what do you know? These green robe Christian Lebanese, they were in luck because they were also amazing Mason, Masons like their ancestors. They could speak many languages, which was like ultra rare at their time. And uh, along with being amazing Masons and having this like hidden knowledge, they also were, their ancestors would like write secret symbols or what have you on the things they built and to have these hidden entrances. So obviously this was probably a way how the Templars were able to navigate the crypts 
under the the holy land because their ancestors built it they knew the language they knew the secret signs that's just passed down from family to family honestly like really badass if you think about it like 200 years later you still know because your father teaches or in this case father teaches son or daughter and it's just passed on and on so 1126 the king baldwin asked the pope to blast bless the templars because they need supplies and king baldwin you know needs their help to keep the holy land safe and these guys were monks and back then or and still now people don't beg you know that's like not very godly to beg and uh so the templars they get blessed and which was huge because like we already said the pope made the king you know he made if he the pope didn't bless the king good luck holding power so the templars were blessed by them they went around or hugh de Paines did and all the kings are giving them gold silver estates land and pope gave them the other key thing then that goes back to like why did they do this how much power do they have he made them exempt from laws and the rules of every country their only allegiance was to the pope which is huge huge even today getting a what a 501c you know to not have to pay taxes back then it was just as equally as important so their green robe chaplains since they were blessed now they officially became priests before they like were kind of not hidden in the shadows but they weren't they couldn't be relied on because back then you know all these rules with the pope so when they were officially became priests this eliminated all need for the outsiders that they were relying on to write their business transactions and all that stuff like that so the monarchs french and english set like because all these year i mean so much war back then supposedly right so the monarchs in like france and england they said like let's stop fighting each other let's beat back the muslims and uh you know keep getting the land back that they took from the christians but eventually Paines dies in 1136 um they get even more land this is the irish king henry ii killed a saint saint thomas beckett and uh the pope said you know i'm gonna let it slide but you need to give the templars more land and there's a templar church that still stands in ireland today and obviously you understand this but that is that's how much like power this group had right like the the king killed a, a church cleric obviously the pope didn't really care too much but he said in return i'll let you still be king and still hold your land but you need to give this templar army more land and like i said earlier i think 900 knights you know so what five thousand men not a lot right so clearly these guys they weren't just knights you could there was plenty of knight like they could get more fighters more military people but something about these guys allowed them to just get whatever they want so no rules no taxes no one can bank then because that is frown you know in the bible you cannot commit usury which was is a whole nother topic about banking and everything like that but so the knights could help bank for you so they created their first of the travelers check they had all these preceptories all around the holy land and on the way so you would receive a, an encrypted note you deposit your money in the one templar stronghold you get an encrypted note in return and for a fee also and you could pick up you know get some money on the way because everyone was getting robbed by marauders and you know barbarians whatever you want to call it and then um they also lended money to kings and noblemen which will get them in trouble eventually as we'll continue on this story 
they were loaning the money to fight wars because back then they didn't have this thing called fiat currency where you just print money out of thin air. You actually had to have the money, you know, so you can just say, well, let's write another $13 trillion stimulus package to fight this war. But uh, yeah, so the knights, the regular knights, they couldn't read or write even their, their leaders, but um, they, this is why they engage or relied so much on the green robed priests so they also like to give them cover they played with like the words just like they do today they called them chaplains so the pope and other people no one really questioned like what these green they were just people that would read the bible story because these men were very religious they ate together they slept not in the um degenerate way they they housed together they did everything together they were brothers they were through thick and thin and so they gave the green robes clerics this name chaplain just to give them cover um then the king king of england now we're in 1189 king of england richard he prepared for a third crusade this is such a badass story so the king of england richard plant to get janet i don't know he prepared for the third crusade so he calls up his french king king philip and this is not the horrible king philip that kills the templars as we get to later in the story but so his his fiance sells ahead with all this treasure because he's going to the holy land and uh, she gets taken by the king of cyprus and richard you know found out his fiance was stolen with the ship they're holding him captive and he comes in with templars and other knights and king philip and they just slaughter cyprus they get his woman back he marries her on the spot of the island and he gives the land back to the templars so i would sing you know they sing like god bless our king i would that dude awesome think of a politician today that if his wife got stolen by china or something he wouldn't go get her i told olivia i said if that happened to you i would sail on a ship and do it too you know, but so badass, dude, right? So um, now that they're on Cyprus, Templars get a lot of port cities and their they're Lebanese green row people happen to be masters of the sea. So they start developing a huge navy. Navy, And you can see how, again, these green robe clerics, these Phoenician descendants became in very helpful for this time. And to this day, Lebanese people still teach their children the ancient art of Phoenician boat making. They did like a story in the book. Uh, he talks about this story about like in 2004, there was like a TV interview and this man still makes boats from the cedar trees. Just really powerful, right? So even to this day in this crazy world, parents still teach their kids things that we hold dear. Like think of whatever your parents taught you. And imagine if you had a, such a strong culture that you didn't want to lose, right? So just, I'm just saying that to show like, you know, a thousand years in those times, there was no internet. You taught your kids these key things that made your family successful and, can, and your grandparents successful. 1244 Muslim forces, um, they regain, they get back the Holy Land and they held it until 1917. So Muslims... This was another awesome story. So again, it just goes back and forth. And now that's 100 years later, Muslims get back to Jerusalem. And so the Templars are holding a city. And this is such a cool story. The Muslims come and they're totally outnumbered, like 10 to 1. And they make a deal with the Muslim guy like, hey, let us get 
the women and children out and the stuff we have and you can just have the, the castle and everything like that like no more people need to die so muslim soldiers sent 300 into the because they have a wall you know a big wall a big wall and uh they send them in and they say all right like get your stuff out let's go let's go and then these soldiers they couldn't resist the beauty of these women they started raping them and all these horrible horrible things so the templars shut the gates they slaughter all of those guys and they they get the women and children out on the, the amazing navy they have and now the like you know templar rule like you you fight to the death so they go in this their tower and they fight them off for days just leaving the piles of bodies outside their walls the walls eventually the walls are breached doesn't have a happy ending but the walls are breached they set the tower on fire burning the templars alive and that was the last christian stronghold in palestine but wild i mean can you imagine the bravery of that right just crazy so the last grand master even though he did not know it was a name we probably all know jacques de molay he was born in the same area of france as de Paines, sent to the holy land in 1270s the same spot where the he was called Richard the Lionheart, the guy that saved his fiance, landed on the island. There was a new Templar stronghold, and Jacques de Molay he wanted to take what was lost. Relics were very important to the church: fingers of saints, all that stuff, severed hoods. Like I didn't know this, but the Catholic Church saves this stuff. You know, it's like very holy, which I think I talked about actually in like dark black mass, like these wandering bishops not saying there's a, a there's a famous bi uh, bishop in the truther community is a wandering bishop but they were get consecrated because a bishop broke away from the church he was consecrating other bishops and these were the guys that were running black mass for lucifer luciferian worship because it was ultra powerful just the same way like a finger of a saint is ultra powerful just the other end of the spectrum okay so anyway um, one of the most prized possessions of the Templars was a skull and two cross femur bones, which came from a virgin and a martyr, St. Euphema. Where, did, what is, where does it sound like I'm going with that, right? So the Templars that lived in the Holy Land, they obviously picked up the culture there, the customs, the dress, the Kabbalah, which has been now most likely started being taught more openly because of whether what they found or what their Phoenicians knew all these things like that, but a lot of Eastern mystic practices. So De Malay, he wanted the Pope to start another crusade because that's why they were created. They were created to take back the Holy Land. And uh, Hospitallers and Templars, they both struggled at this time. S cities were either like protected by one or the other. So the Templars watched Lebanon and Israel. The Hospitallers did Syria. I, I know I'm probably saying that wrong. So, so if you're bothered, I apologize. Hospitaller's leader said it was worthless to do a crusade again. Clearly, they weren't as badass as the Templars. Um, King Philip, King Philip III, Philip the Fair, because he was so good looking. He was 24, 24 years younger than De Molay, and he. This is where our story, where most people have heard of the story. He got gets a bunch of debt in a failed war with Spain. He has a lavish lifestyle. He's one to fight a new, another war with England. He starts taxing the shit out of everybody, and. Pope Boniface VIII said, you can't make a tax without the clearance of me. I am the king, the highest. You need to ask me. So Philip says, oh, really? Kidnaps him, beats the hell out of him. Beating was so bad, the Pope dies a month later in October of 1303. 
Now, the next pope was Pope Benedict XI. What happens to him? As in every good truther story, he dies under suspicious circumstances eight months after taking office. So Philip says, I am going to have my own bishop or own pope picked. So this was Pope Clement. And obviously Pope Clement saw that the past two died kind of suspiciously. So he's gonna he's like, I clearly gotta appease this guy. He's also French. And they moved the seat of the Vatican. I guess it wasn't the Vatican yet, but moved the Pope seat from of Rome to France. And Clement, as we know, he was the the Pope was the only in charge of the Templars. He uh wanted to combine the Hospitallers and the Templars. So Philip keeps making more debt. He needs to take more loans by the Templars, which they give him. He actually then was in so much debt, he just kidnapped Italian bankers and some Jewish bankers, stole their property. Philip then, what does this sound like? He reduces the weight of the coins, because again, not fiat currency. It gets caught. It ruined the value overnight. French currency was worth one third of what it was worth before. What does that sound like, guys? I know I learned that from Charlie Robinson. They clipped the coins in Rome. Here they lower the weight. What are we doing now? We're just printing it out of thin air. Probably going to be the same result. So riots, you know, in the streets. King has to hide. He asks the Templars, please protect me. So he thinks that the Templars, and now he's in, stuck in the Templar temple scheming. And uh, he thinks, man, the Templars, I put my money in here. Other rich people put their money in here. They got to have boatloads of vaults like Scrooge McDuck swimming in here. So Templars, though, always one step ahead. They uh, always move the money from the vaults into inconspicuous safe houses, moving the money constantly like an invisible network, the society within society again. So in previous years, the Templars, like, they were so smart, or their green robe clerics were so smart because the other guys probably weren't that intelligent. But these guys were brilliant because they were robbed in previous years. Kings would come in, like, you know, if a new king took over, he would say that that king's money was his money, all that stuff like that. So they learned from these experiences. When I was in um, struggling in my life, and I, it's called getting beat when you pay for something and it's fake or something, you learn damn, I shouldn't let somebody take walk, take my money and walk away. But anyway, so they learned this lesson probably the hard way, as many do. And uh, you have Philip devaluing the coin. He's chummy with the Pope. And the Pope sends a letter to the Hospitallers and the Templars. The Hospitaller, he was hip to it, and he said, I'm too busy, I'm working on other stuff. But Molay, he was probably so thrilled that maybe he could begin his crusade again. And uh, he went to meet him. He went with 60 knights. This was the biggest mistake he ever made. So Philip was, he arrested Malay on a death. So he got like a few Templars before, tortured them, got these supposedly, which we can speculate all day, fake confessions, which they eventually retracted, saying how they were doing uh, pagan worship and all this stuff like that. And we could go like, if you want my, this guy who wrote the book, I told you he's a 32nd degree Mason, thinks he's going to make the connection Templars go to Freemasonry. So he obviously thinks of them very highly. Um, in my honest opinion, I think they probably were doing some stuff that were not clear or was not cleared by the church. Because like my 
you know, like the he even says in the book, like the Masons worship God, but there's so much evidence that whether maybe they think they're worshiping God and they think it's a Christian organization, but it's not secretly, right? So I don't know if they were doing it, but regardless, he picked them up, they tortured them, they confessed. And then this is where we have the infamous day of Friday, the 13th, October 13th, 1307. The Templars were rounded up in France and arrested. They set up a grand inquisitor of the church to torture all the Templars to get all the confessions, you know, and they looked for the Pope for help and he gave none. 36 of the men died declaring their innocence. They were even like shown just like cops today, dude, just like cops today. They were shown forged letters from Malay telling them to confess. So scummy, dude. They do that stuff all the time. Oh my, you should hear like the trickery they try to pull on you in there. But anyway, um, the confessions, they revoked them after they were tortured. Um, King got what he needed though, right? People, People always, they never see the retraction. They just see the first headline. So Clement agreed to the order of, to arrest everyone in the order, but the Templars are always a step ahead. So some remained, the rest disappeared. So 4,000 brothers before the arrest, there were 500 caught, You're like worldwide, two, only 232 in France. But the question would be then, why did they stay behind, right? If they knew, but so many got away. I, I mean, my theory is that they sacrificed themselves for the good of the brotherhood, right? You never leave a brother. But anyway, which was interesting, even in the Templars, there was different levels of meetings, like a society within a society again. So this we see this pattern with Freemasonry with the different degrees. Like only the green-robed clerics knew what was going on, the financing at the top, right? So you had the group laying cover, so it's very possible that these Phoenicians who worshipped whatever god they wanted to worship at the time to get along, they at secretly at the top were still doing this to this to this at this time, right? They said they were Christians, but maybe they weren't. And here, if you read Nick Hinton's tweets, I like his post. Um, he talks about this in the Freemasonry. They have a Tyler that guards the door. Well, they get this from the Templars meetings who had an armed guard with a drawn sword and because they knew secrets kept their life safe and having a drawn sword at this time is probably like having an, you know, a drawn gun. So Pope signed a, a popple bull. I, I don't know what that Latin term means. I imagine it means like it's, it's a rule and all the countries, they had three months before he signed that. So obviously the Templar networks informed their people that, you know, the Pope was probably going to outlaw their existence and even on Cyprus, which was the Templar, Templar stronghold from Philip the, the Lionheart or Richard the Lionheart, all the treasure was gone. There was one green-robed cleric that remained on the island. Portugal, they loved the Templars because they fought back the Moors who were, you know, the North Africa. You hear a lot about the Moors these days. Probably people don't really like understand the history. But regardless, you hear a lot about the Moors. And the Portugal refused to arrest them. They like gave them quarter, third of the land they take back. But the and the church like came to said they had to arrest them, the Templar, and give them their land. See, the church it was a power grab here too. The church wanted to get the land that was the Templars. The church said, or Portugal said, no, no, no. It's actually it was on loan. You can't have that land. And then out of totally a coincidence, an order called Order of the Christ was started in Portugal. 
and they got the land back. I'm sure it has no connection. Some Templars went into piracy because they had a huge naval fleet. So there were eastern ports. The, the ports they were operating in were either in eastern ports, like Muslim-controlled places because the Pope had no power there, and in North Africa, um, the Barbary Coast, which we hear is the piracy central. And this is where I'm revisiting. Remember the St. Euphysema, the, the lady's skull and femur bones which they had well this is where you get the pirate ship because they would fly this their ship with this flag because if they value that relic so much the jolly rogers flag and where else do we see this saint euphema symbolism skull and bones secret society which was started um from a german secret illuminati like all these things are connected i think that Every book I read that's on this topic, I, I just I don't have like the answer yet, and I'm looking for the answer of who's on top of who, and I'm sure there's so many people with theories, but it just says like they're all connected. It's like secret group within a secret group, which is the same like Phoenician kind of thing they used, and I'm sure even before that to the mystery schools. Okay, so. Templars, they're being chased everywhere. They, many of the Templars went to Scotland, England. Obviously, they have to go like underground. Once the Pope says you have to rest, every king is crowned by the Pope. He has the ultimate authority, and they had to begrudgingly arrest even if they didn't agree it. So this was also, before I keep going, this was just to reiterate how much like uh, brother to brother each knight had three horses because they rode a lot and you would never see a brother riding on the same horse as another because they have three horses each. The only way you would do it was if a fellow knight's horse died in battle and he was on the ground to be killed, you would ride up and pick him up and ride. So that, so that became a symbol of the Knights Templars was them riding, you know, behind each other as a sign that they will always give aid to a brother in need really powerful right i mean badass um so but they are you know they're being hunted so they're doing like the the gangster kind of thing they're changing the titles of ownership so no one knows who owns the properties this helps them stay hidden they just put it under you know like dummy companies dummy or yeah dummy companies so, and like I, th I think i said people would give confessions and retract that pissed off king philip even more he just would kill him anyway he burned 113 Templars at the state. And not he he didn't burn Malay because he needed him, you know, as a spectacle. And so he claims he's going to get uh, Malay to give us a confession. And he brings the, all the town to the town square to have him say he does this stuff. And he says he's innocent. And so he burns him. He, this wasn't in this book, but he cursed the Pope and the King, and they die like very, like a year after that in very suspicious circumstances. So then he put like a spell on them. Who knows? But anyway, so the Templars, they had no more war. So they had to go back to their to trades, to building, which they were taught by their green robed clerics and, uh, and business things and just become regular members of society. Ooh, I know this is long. So if you got to do this in a few sittings i totally get it when i was writing these notes dude it took me forever all right so templars are gone um 
They had a badass time. I told you that I wasn't going to get into any like real, the wild shit, but that was the history of the Templars. So you don't need a recap, you know, lots of chaos in the, the Holy Land. Phoenicians, well, prior to that, Phoenicians built a lot of stuff, traded everywhere, could make, make amazing, huge, beautiful buildings, built Solomon's Temple, blah, 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 switches over from uh, Muslims to Christians, group Templars are created to fight the Holy Land, they get Solomon's Temple with the green robed clerics of their Phoenician predecessors, knew where the crypts were built, they navigated, found something under there that gave them the ultimate power over the Pope and for 300 years. Okay, so they get Friday the 13th and now the Templars are gone. So this is where we get into the Freemasonry aspect. So there's this family called the St. Clair, uh, St. Clair Barons of Roslyn. And they're real people who, if you've seen the Da Vinci Code, the, the, uh, the Roslyn Chapel. I mean, you need to look it up, guys. But anyway, okay. So these this family worked hand-in-hand hand with the Templars for over 500 years. The first Temple Grandmaster, Hugh de Paines, rode his horse into Scotland in the 12th century. And in the 17th century, the first Freemasonic Grand Mason of Scotland, the Scottish Rite, was a Roslyn. What a history of that family, dude. I, I wonder if there's like any around today should look that up but anyway the could you imagine just being able to trace yourself um all the way to back to the 12th century your family lines so uh first freemason was a grant was a Roslyn. so the patriarch of this family rode with william the conqueror and his armies in 1066 but he's you know, real good looking. The queen asked him to be a cupbearer, which I wonder, you know, what that means. If he's real good looking, why is the, what, if I was the king, would I want, if Olivia said, oh man, he is so good looking. I want him to bring me my wine. I would be concerned, right? I would be a little jealous. I'd say off with his head, probably. No, you can have the ugly guy bring you your wine. Better yet, to have a girl bring you your wine because I don't want you with this good looking guy. But anyway, um, Baron Roslyn, his name's William, he has a son. Son fights in the First Crusades. He probably chilled with the Templars or the soon-to-be Templars in this First Crusade. And then in 1128, Hugh de Paines comes to Scotland and he's, you know, because he's getting all this land and all these beautiful, and he's trying to recruit as well. So what do you know? A temple, a Templar residence is four miles. And back then you got to think like, you know, Four miles, it is long, but there's not many people, and you need a lot of land to farm. So four miles away, a Templar stronghold house, four miles next to the Rosalind residence. And so for the next 184 years, the Templars and the children of the St. Clairs were neighbors because, you know, you gave, you just took the land your parents gave you, which was, or the parents stayed with the kids, which is something we need to bring back, everybody. If, unless it's too difficult, you know, your parents need too much help, I, like I ref I'm not going to put my parents in a home, you know, like they took care of me. I should take care of them, right? My plan is to buy land and either give them a tiny house to sleep and like, you know, and then when they want to sit in a big living room, they can come in my house. But anyway, so for 184 years, they were neighbors. Obviously they had some connections. 
1153, the first Rosalind Chapel was built. It's still there today. More kids, 1214. And uh, this was interesting. So back then, if you were a noble and you had money, your first son would get everything as, as long as he was not like a total degenerate. And so they would get the money, they'd get the house, they'd get everything. If the second, the second and third son, they would then be sent away to become a priest or a cleric or a monk because they didn't want to have any other kids. They didn't want to dilute the family line. But so now you have this sick, badass group called the Templars. So you would get, if you were a kid of the rich noble family, your brother's getting everything. You'd be like, dude, I don't want to just shave my head and wear a brown robe all day. I want to go be a knight. And that's what they would do. So they would join this team. They'd get to travel all the world, you know, badass, brotherhood, all that stuff. So now the St. Clairs had a bunch of kids because at that time, as you should still today, have a bunch of kids. Be fruitful and multiply. So they went into becoming monks and bishops and all these other things. And being so close to a Templar fort, obviously, you know, there were no cell phones. They, they would probably be interested in joining this group. So in 1290, there's there's still like a favored family of the monarchy. War breaks out. They're squabbling who gets the front throne in Scotland. And this is where the name, which some of you may know, Robert the Bruce comes in. So Robert the Bruce, he kicks in the door. He knocks out the monarchy. Um, King Edward of England, he also wanted the Scottish throne. But the St. Clairs, back in Scotland, home team support, they back Robert the Bruce. There's just so many awesome stories in this whole history. So the St. Clairs, they're so kind of a family. They Actually, there was an English soldier fighting. He gets like left behind. And instead of killing him, they bring him to their house. They feed him. And this English knight says, you know what? You guys need to beef up your security around here. So they say, you're right. We do. And so they build a new castle a little down the road. And that is the one that still stands today. It had a drawbridge, walls, like badass you know, for this time. And you wonder who helped them build it. But anyway, uh, 1307, we know the Templars are outlawed. Their house down the road from the Roslins or the St. Clairs is, is, you know, abandoned. But because they had such a good fort, you would think, and they had this close ties for the past 200 years, 187 years, you know that they probably would house some of these people for an immediate time being. But lucky for the Templars, Scotland had been excommunicated by the Pope. And this is because Robert the Bruce slays his competitor who met him. He invited him for dinner and he just murdered him. So they're still fighting battles against England and they keep driving Robert the Bruce and poor Scotland back further and further. England is a far larger, more superior army. It's just beating the hell out of Robert the Bruce and uh, the St. Clairs and all these people. And then this is a theory that I like, the author didn't like, but uh, at the, so they're like one of the last battles. They cannot beat back the, the English forces. And then out of nowhere, a ship comes in and all these monks or something are on, come off the ship. And the English were so, forces were, were outnumbering them by so many, were so afraid, they literally turned and ran away. Like, they had them outnumbered and they turned and ran away. So what group would have caused the immediate fear of these people to run away? So 
that that then supposedly they resided in Scotland. Maybe they went to Oak Island or all these, you know, that's that the the Canadian island. Uh, I'm okay, but may, that's the one theory that they then turned into Freemasonry from that group and Scottish Rite Freemasonry. The author, like I said, didn't agree with that th theory, but he doesn't really know. 1329, Robert the Bruce dies. 1331, more St. Clair's, more castle building. And the St. Clair's, they also were such a wild family. They were also, they were great at building ships. Again, pretty weird that they were so great at building ships, but they were able to start trading with Greenland and Iceland, which at the time was in 1982, Leif Erikson sailed to America via Iceland or he was trading with somebody that was, and they got ears of corn. And that's why in the Roslyn Chapel, there's American corn sculptings in the, in the chapel because, you know, 1492 is still a while away from 1331. So in 1400s, the chapel's totally built and it has these four altars. Guys, definitely look it up, the Roslyn Chapel. It'll blow your mind. So he wants, the, the St. Clair at the time said he wanted to have four people praying all day, every day for his family, his, his, you know, his family. And obviously that's a lot of money needed to pay for four monks or whatever that is to do that. In 1441, he finds the best masons he could find, brought them there to build the inside and the car. I mean, you, again, look at the pictures. It's just amazing. There's so much symbolism in this, this chapel it's so, and there is theory, there is witnesses that claim that they saw the St. Clairs and people doing sex orgies in the in the field. Um, there's Templar symbolism everywhere, everywhere, Freemasonic symbolism everywhere. I mean, you cannot even I can't even begin. I'm not you should have Isaac Weishaupt do a I'm going to message him do a Roslyn Chapel symbolism because there is so much Uh and this is where like the Da Vinci Code, the I think the Roslyn Chapel comes into play. I think. I could be wrong. Maybe it was in France. But anyway, they have all, of course, these hidden crypts all under the church because who built it? Or under the chapel? Masons, Phoenician Masons, most likely built the Roslyn. And since we see this precedent that's been set in Egypt, well, I guess in Malta first, then Egypt, then in King Solomon's Temple, then, you know, all these... That they, this is what they're known for. They build hidden crypts. And there's crypts in Roslyn Chapel that you would never even know you were walking over one unless you were told it was there. Like, they made them that good. It reminds me of, like, those drug cars that uh, they you have to, hit, like, put in a reverse and then hit the defroster and then a secret compartment opens up. But who knows what was built in that, right? They're close with the Templars. The Templars hide their money from the, like, the huge, you know, forts they have into undisclosed locations. And who knows what information was built there. This guy ends up being the, you know, this family ends up being the Grand uh, Mason, Grand Master Mason of the Scottish Rite. So, oh, and witnesses, I told you they were doing, they thought they would see orgies and stuff. Uh, they claimed that the building would shine with fire when a St. Clair died. And they were accused of the same kind of rituals, pagan worship and stuff like that that were witnessed, the Templars were accused of, were witnessed in the fields outside the chapel. There's three pillars in there associated with Freemasonry. There's the entered apprentice pillar, the fellow craft, and the master. And there's a story behind one, the apprentice pillar, uh, the master mason that was building the temple at the time he went to Rome to like go do something. 
and the apprentice did the the pillar so much so beautifully you have to again look at it up that when the master mason came back he killed him with a hammer and in the one figure on the chapel there is a head with a mark on his forehead but there's just boatloads of freemasonic symbolism that's a whole episode that i'm not equipped to do but yeah definitely check it out so eventually norway had to give the the islands of iceland that the saint Clairs or like you were able to, they were bought from you know or whatever he had to give it as payment to his for his daughter's marriage um so as a like a return like sorry sorry saint Clair, we're taking the island back you can have another castle 1500s more saint Clairs, more positions of power nobility stuff like that if you want like the like like this this book this episode's already i think like two hours long if you wanted to learn all about it go read the book they're the same they keep having positions of power in like these mason guilds unions and stuff like that but it, it's not really in my opinion like too pertinent to the story they were just very powerful and then 1598 a saint Clair is elected to be the patron patron and judge for the stonemasons and all their business matters sometimes the stonemasons were called the saint Clair charters so interwoven with the stonemasons from the 1300s to 1736 they eventually the freemasonry comes out or comes out of breaks out and comes out of secrecy and in 1736 william st Clair becomes the first grandmaster of uh, freemasonry so that's how like they're interwoven um also wild in 1381 so now like that's the theory right that's how the theory how so the either the templars assimilated in scotland and became the Freemasons via the St. Clair family, or they came through with uh, Robert the Bruce. They defended them, and he gave them like a place. Some became pirates. Some split out and just spread out because they were kicked out. So I think that's a pretty... The author like goes into this deep thing, um, but just to show you that they did spread out everywhere, in 1381, there was a revolt in England, and all the hospitaller buildings were burned and but the templar buildings that were once templar buildings were not burned so pretty wild coincidence winston churchill in like his autobiography he claimed it was this group that was called the great society he like references this and he calls it this group the great society at this time and uh like they were held they were these secret people that held positions of power and they caused the revolt they planned this like peasant revolt at the time which is so funny because we see the same tactics being used today the people who you know ride in the streets for blm or whatever you know they think they're doing a good thing and just like how i got caught up in the spell of like trump and the concert toting conservative party line values you know we're our strings are just pulled by the puppet masters right and that's why the best way i think is to disassociate but yeah, so I just thought that was interesting. Eventually, you know, in like the 1400s, 1500s, uh, lots of smart people or powerful people start meeting in secret against the church doctrine with the goal of separating the power of the church and the state. Which, guys, like the Catholic Church is not, a, I think it's probably a pretty evil entity at the top, but and all over hiding pedophiles all that stuff but here we see the precedent being set and i'm not saying back then was a better with under a monarchy or under a you know total church power but what do we see today 
we see Christianity being demonized over and over and over again. I mean, you see the narratives they're trying to push. They're trying to push white supremacy. They're going to make the connection in the next year that Christianity causes white supremacy. Same way they say being a weightlifting is a white supremacist activity. These things that are associated with a racist narrative that make no sense. And I think you better your life becoming, I mean, we pray every night and I could be a much, I should go to church all the time and all those things like that, which I don't do. But, you know, my faith has only gotten stronger after, especially in this world, realizing, you know, all the odds of science, the religion of science is being pushed so hard and that's pushed me the other way. But just immediately this society, after the end of the Templars, about 80, 90 years later, they start, there's a group of powerful people trying to secretly end the church and the state, or end the monarchy. Eventually a, a college, the, it was called Gresham College, which is still there today. This guy, he could trace his roots back to 1300, early 1300s when his father obscured his identity. So what happened at 13, early 1300s? A guy obscured his identity. Now either he was a mass murderer or he was wanted, right? Uh, so Freemasonry came out of open in 1717, which is, like I, I think I already said that, which is interesting, you know, 17. But anyway, I'm skipping so much history. This episode is already like long enough. But we clearly have, there's ties between stonemasonry and Freemasonry and the Templar Society. And no one can tell you the exact answer. Everyone has theories. Like I told you, this guy was a 32nd degree Freemason. He even went to Scottish Rite Freemasonry as well. This was because the Scottish Freemasonry refused to be like absorbed in the Freemasonry Society. And the French have a lot of ties to this group as well. Um... I think I already I went over Hiram Abiff. You know, this is oh here's all this like and this is some of the Freemasonic symbolism that came out of the Templars just to prove the ties. So Hiram Abiff, he is known as the builder in Freemasonic lore. He has no last name in the Bible though. And in Masonic tradition, Hiram was hit on the head and killed. And Biffer means to strike out, eliminate in French. So obviously Hiram Abiff. We see that. And Masons just repeated the word until a biff and they've you know most people don't know french and probably don't make that connection but that's why they say here i'm a biff in uh you know free freemasonry mason lodges this was the nick henton tweet they always have guarded by an officer at the door which only allows masons to pass the doors closed during secret meetings we know again if you were paying attention templars did the same thing closed doors guy had a drawn sword uh the masonic Officer, though, as opposed to having a drawn sword, which would look pretty badass in today's day and age, he wears a necklace that has a drawn sword, or like a jewel with a drawn sword on it. And Masons call him the Tyler. And if Freemasons probably, uh, they came out of stonemasonry, he was named after the Tyler, the one who sets the tiles. And in French, Tyler, Tyler, Tyler. I don't have a French accent. I'm horrible. He means the one who cuts. So you can see why they call him the Tyler. And when Masons enter the lodge, it's called the Dew Guard. In medieval French, knights would, their protective gesture was geste du God. 
again, I'm not even going to do the French accent. I'm butchering it. This was key. You know, all the picture of Freemasons, we see the white kilt, the white thing. Well, we saw that that was from the Templars. Oh, I don't know if I said that already. But anyway, so the white lambskin apron presented to each brother as he completes the third degree ritual and becomes a master mason. Now, why do they do this? No stonemason obviously wouldn't wear an expensive skirt with a rough job. But who wore white lambskin aprons? Well, the Templars would wear around one around their their penises, their hips. I don't know. You know what I mean? To vow their chastity. And they would never take it off. And this is how they were also able to identify brothers this way. Freemasonry wears white gloves. Who also wore white gloves in the Knights Templar? The green clerics would wear white gloves to be pure. The square and compass, where does that come from? Well, after the Templars are outlawed, they can't openly show that they were a Templar on the run. So what would they do? They needed innocent things that they could travel and to show their brothers to know that they were still a brother. So since Masons recognized geometry from the, the green clerics, the green-robed clerics and such, it is a symbol that's well-recognized. And they would carry around these things. Oh, I skipped it. So the Freemasons, they pray on the Bible and with the square and compass. Well, the Seal of Solomon is a six-pointed star. It was two triangles made out of white, one white and one black, hence why we have the black and white floor of the Masons. And they couldn't wear that seal, though, anymore. So the square and compass gave that six-pointed star when you put them together. And if a, a Templar was, you know, meeting their brothers on the way, or a Freemason at this point, I don't know what you want to call them, and they had the square and compass, they'd just say, I'm a Mason, and I'm I'm going, uh, you know, traveling to do my next job. Uh, so we have the other Freemasonic symbols, the Eye of the Pyramid, which is, you know, a Knights Templar Phoenician symbol, the two pillars, Joaquin and Bose of Solomon's Temple, the winding staircase. The staircase is a knowledge, and each step, science is the first that leads to deeper knowledge. And we see this today with science is the new religion. So I wonder the connection there, like science is the first step in the Masonic lore of the winding staircase that leads you to more things. So it seems like they're setting us up with the science religion. But again, the green robe clerics had all this knowledge of science, ge geometry, mathematics, language, you name it, they had it. So you can see the connection there. There was something called the Cook Manuscript written in 1450, and it was written from an even older document. And this is what shows that the Masons were started right around, you know, after the, the dismissal or the, the popple bull of the Knights Templar. Uh, the story in the document talks about a, a descendant of Noah in the seventh generation, which is occult significant. He had two sons, Jabal and Jabul. Um, Jubal discovered geometry and masonry. He made houses. He was Cain's master mason, governor of the works. He built the city of Enoch. Basically, the Cook Manuscript has all these manuscript or all these metaphors that make sense if you were a stonemason, how to live a good life. And but they had much deeper meaning. We see this constantly with symbolism 
all the symbolism I just mentioned, right? It's an easy connection that you can say, but there's something deeper than that. So when the Templars rebranded, they chose Masons as their like cover, and Freemasonry, Freemasonry secretly became created in the 13s and 1400s when the manuscript was written. And they were hiding under the stonemasons, but met separately. And eventually the stonemasons started losing work because there was like too much work because supposedly these fires would burn down cities and things. And the, there was no more need for like this powerful union. And the Freemasons respected the stonemasons so much they were paying for the lodges and paying for the dues and stuff like that. Paul Revere was also a Mason, and he was riding to warn his brother, John Hancock, to escape, to help him escape capture, who was a fellow Mason. Uh, Washington got help from Germany and French Masons, Baron von Steuben. I know he taught, like, the, the American soldiers. So, wow, that was a long freaking episode. So I hope it taught you some things. It taught me so much so we can at least tie Freemasonry from the, to the Phoenicians, to the Templars, to the Freemasons, and they all hide under bigger groups, the society within the society. So we see this that goes back to biblical times. The you know, like I said, the Phoenicians go underground. They still teach the knowledge. Green cloak clerics. And um, funny story: when I was in my drug addicted days, I went into the Philadelphia Freemasonic Temple. At the time, I found a small Koopa Troopa. Koopa, you know, the guy with the red shell and Mario, that I thought was funny. So I walked around the masonry, the Philadelphia Masonic Temple, and took pictures of him, like, looking, making him look like he was real big. And uh, I don't remember this much because I was, you know, pretty zonked at the time on whatever heroin and other things I was doing at that day. But... It's funny because I literally only have the pictures to remember that inside. And I never like really got that high and confused like that. So maybe they they took me and did some NK Ultra on me or something because I don't remember anything. It's a joke. But I just wanted to say like I've been in there and it's, you know, I looked it up again. And it's amazing masonry. It's to, It's one of the biggest and all those things. But. We see the Templars are a society within a society. They have levels, just like the Freemasons have temple, have levels. We saw that the Templar group helped overthrow governments uh, with like the Great Society and things like that, how Winston Churchill claimed. And uh, they wanted science as the new religion, the Freemasons did, and they didn't want the power of the church and the state. So we see that this is the same undertones we have today we're getting rid of God and replacing it with Mr. Fauci, right? So over after reading all this stuff like that, the guy, like I said, his I read two books on this actually. And if this is my theory for what it's worth, I think that the Templar clerics, they had secret knowledge from their Phoenician ancestors and they found documents that helped teach that, whether it was Kabbalah whether it was Gnosticism with books, and they use metaphors to hide it in plain sight. And this way, this is what they've been teaching since then. In Freemasonry, if you listen to my Luciferian episode, you find that all their rituals are satanic ritual, Luciferian rituals, which makes sense. A group that loves knowledge and truth, who better to work, you know, supposed knowledge and truth, 
who better to worship than the light bringer, Lucifer? So I hope this history lesson was good. Like I said, I try not to go into the rumors because there's so much stuff and there's so many people that do it. But I, I loved it, dude. I learned so much about ancient history, about the Phoenicians through this book. I hope you did too. So if you want to support the show, I posted a cool t-shirt and I've got a bunch more making. Um, I have a Patreon, Conspiracy or Just a Coincidence. As, and I say this all the time, I probably already said in the beginning, but even if you don't support me, support somebody because a lot of amazing people in this community is such a great community and it's just, there's coming more and more censorship and silencing and uh, yeah. So everyone, thank you so much for listening. I hope it wasn't too long. If you had to digest it in a few episodes, maybe that would be best, but uh, keep reading, keep learning, keep fighting the fight. I'm Jack Allen and thanks for listening, everybody. Peace.